0: Good morning, Christ Church. Happy Sunday. Let me say a prayer for us to get us started. Dear Father, we love you. We trust you. We are so, so thankful that you are a God who invites us into a relationship with you to know you better. We pray, Father, as we try to train to be more and more of the men and women that you've called us to be, that you would be with us, that you would help us, guide us, and direct us in the way that we should go. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just recently finished the book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lisa Turkers. And kind of the main guiding idea behind the book is how to find strength, unexpected strength, when disappointments leave you shattered. So she kind of talks about it from the principle of what do you do when your experience of life isn't matching the expectations that you had of what you thought your life should be like. So typically it leaves us feeling hurt and disappointed and frustrated. And it's interesting because as somebody, um, Lisa's been through a lot, and she's very honest about her life story and the end of her marriage and the medical problems and cancer that she went through. She brings such a unique perspective and insight on how to handle these frustrations and hurts that life experiences. She said, um, we live in a broken world where broken things happen. But what happens when things don't just feel broken, they feel shattered. You can't fix dust. You can't glue dust back together. And we all have this impulse in us that we want to edit the um, uh, version of our story so it has a different ending. We want it to look a certain way. And that's when we start saying it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be like this. But she asks us to consider instead, what if God is desiring to make something new entirely? What if the shattering of what feels like in our life is the only way to get dust back to its original form so something new can be made? And she said at the heart of this is the issue of control. I don't wanna control God until I do. And I love, because when do we wanna control God? She says, when his timing seems questionable, when his lack of intervention seems hurtful and his promises seem doubtful. When those things happen, we get afraid, we get confused. And when we just sit alone with those feelings for too long, we can't help but feel disappointed that God isn't doing what we think a good God should do. She said, I wanna assume that my definition of best should be God's definition of best. I think my definition of good should be God's definition of good. I want to write this story of my life according to these assumptions. I want to take control from God. And she said, this is where we make a very dangerous, the most dangerous assumption of all. We say to ourselves, I can do this all better than God. And see, we are confronted with life in all of the things that we are unable to control. We can't control people, their circumstances, timing. We can't control them. And when that happens, we're left feeling disappointed we're left thinking okay god you're not doing what i think you should do here i think i can do a better job but she said even when we try to take control and make assumptions and misunderstand god on every level he still has a plan a good plan and his plan is to make something from dust she questions what if god denied us the best What if God hasn't denied us the best? Instead, he offers the best by offering himself. See, many times in life, we don't really think about fixing things until they're broken. We, We don't call experts in to help us until we realize, I can't fix this on my own. What I'm doing isn't working. And she said, if our souls never ached with disappointment and disillusionment, we'd never fully admit and submit to our need for God. If we weren't ever shattered, she said we'd never know the glorious touch of the potter making something glorious out of dust, out of us. And the truth is, it never seems like a good time, right? How many hard things have we gone through our life? None of us would say, sign me up for that. It's perfect timing. Let's bring on hard things right now. But she said if we want his promises, we have to trust in God's process. And she said, what if disappointment is really the exact appointment our souls need to radically encounter God? What if that place in our life where we feel the most shattered, the most disappointed, the most hurt, it's not proof that God doesn't love me. It's not uh, proof that God really isn't good. Maybe it's the exact place that God wants to do a good work in us and through us. Maybe it's the exact place that God wants to make something new. The question is, can we trust him? In moments just like that, can we trust God? Because life is nothing but a teacher of how many things are outside of our control. And so the question becomes, in that space where I realize how many things I truly can't control, can I trust that God is in control and that he's got it? I love, Marcus Aurelius said, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So many times in life we face obstacles and disappointments and hurts and struggles, but what if in each and every one of those places, they're not there to block the way forward, but there's something unique, some benefit right in the midst of it. But to see it, to understand it, I have to give up my sense of, I'm in control, my sense of how things were supposed to be. Maybe it's not God who needs to change, but me. Maybe it's not somebody else who needs to change, but how I've seen them up to this point. See, perception is I think I see things as they truly are. The problem is we see things as we are. We all have a perception that we bring to the things that we're looking at. And maybe the biggest shift that needs to happen is in my heart, my perception and my vision. Maybe that's the place where God wants to do a good work. You know, this is the idea of what Charles Swindoll calls the discipline of surrender. We think surrender is quitting, it's giving up, it's throwing in the towel, I'm done. But in fact, it's radically different when it comes to how we do life and our relationship with God. It's not giving up, it's letting go. It's the admission, I can't, but there is an incredible God who can. Now this is hard because none of us like to admit that we're powerless here, right? None of us like to admit that what we've been doing isn't working or things are beyond us. But right in this place is where God meets us. And when we surrender, when we let go, we get to discover a new relationship with God and just what it is he's truly capable of. Richard War said, Letting go isn't in anybody's program for happiness. And yet all mature spirituality in one sense or another is about letting go and unlearning. What the ego hates more than anything in the world is to change even when the present situation isn't working or is horrible. Instead, we do more and more of what doesn't work. So the reason we do anything one more time is because the last time didn't really satisfy us deeply. So today we want to kind of dive into this and how do we train and learn and practice this discipline of surrender. To do that we're going to look at um, Hebrews chapter 12 starting in verse 1. This is what the author of Hebrews says Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that this is where uh, the author of Hebrews picks up this chapter. You know, one of the biggest lies that we believe in life is that we are alone in this. Nobody's been through this before. Nobody's had it as bad as you have it. No one's ever had it this hard or gone through what you're going through. And here we have the author of Hebrews reminding us. He connects us right back to the previous chapter. And if you read Hebrews 11, there's this incredible list of men and women that had a faith in God that led them to do do and live, they did incredible things and lived these remarkable lives, we're far from alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, men and women who've gone before us, who show us what's possible when we do life with God, who show us what's possible when we live with faith, letting go that we can do it all on our own and trusting in an incredible God to see what he can do. They show us through moments that were dark and hard, when everything seemed impossible, that nothing is too hard for God. They show us how to choose faith over fear and that God can take even the most unlikeliest person with the shadiest of past and turn them into incredible heroes. These men and women who've gone before us, they lived by faith. They conquered kingdoms and forced justice. They became mighty in war and made the enemies run some of them suffered torture and imprisonment they were afflicted they were mistreated their stories were unique to their lives the lives they lived look different than our own but every one of them faced moments where their lives seem shattered where they struggled with hurt and disappointment where things seemed like it's not supposed to be this way friends we are anything but alone There are a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and they've showed us what God can do when we trust in him. But what's remarkable is even though these men and women lived by faith and they're recognized as these heroes with incredible lives, God still made a provision for something better for us that we find in Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews says, we've got this race that's marked out for us, and we've got to run it with perseverance. But to do that, there are things that we need to do. There are things we need to let go of, a new direction to put our eyes and a new model for us to consider. So let's look through these ideas together. The first is what we need to let go of. And we have this image. They say, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. When liners run, uh, line up to run, they don't design the racetrack. They just learn how to run on that track to the best of their ability. Regardless or not if they like the track, once they step up to the line, they're runners. Talk to people who run and they run different races and some of them they like better than others and there's courses they enjoy and courses that challenge them and they're not fans of. Now there's many things about Um, The nature of life and how it works and things that we don't understand that we don't like we didn't design them if we had to choose we would choose it to be incredibly different, but they're still part of life that we have to work our way through I can either spend my time complaining about them, or I can figure out how to run the track that's set before me to the best of my ability. I can either criticize all the things that I don't like and that don't work for me, or I can focus my time and my energy on the things that are in my control and that I can do something about. The choice is mine. I might not have chosen the track to look this way. I might not have picked the race course to take this turn and that, but I always get to choose how will I respond? How will I run in this race that's set before me? Now, there's so many things that i might not have picked in my life to be the way that they are right now but i do have the freedom to choose how am i going to respond to them and this is where surrender is powerful i have to surrender my need to control everything else and i have to focus my energy on what i really have control over myself i can control Me, what I do, what I say, how I run, that's at the heart of surrender. And that's really what gets in the way of us running well. We're either so busy looking back at how things used to be or how we wish things could be that we miss what's laid out before us. And this is where the author of Hebrews says, and there's that sin that easily entangles us. And it's interesting Because many commentators don't believe this is just sin in general. They think it's unbelief. And here's what that looks like. If God was really good, this wouldn't be happening. If God was really powerful, he'd be able to stop this. If God really loved me and wanted what was best for me, how could he not do something right here and right now? And see, in every one of those cases... What happens is, I think I know better. I think I know how things should be. And if God isn't doing things my way, the way I expect them to be, well, surely the problem is him and not me. See, this is, I don't want to control God until I do. Until I think I could do things better. Until I think I know better. Until my perspective of everything gets challenged. See, the essence of sin is me putting myself in the place where only God should be. My belief in who really knows best, who's really in control of everything. Now think about if we're using this race analogy that the author of Hebrews gave us, who knows the racetrack best? the one who designed it from the beginning to the end, every bump, every turn, every path, who's overseen every facet of its design, or the runner who steps up to run on the track for one small measured amount of time. See, in that analogy, it makes sense. Like, of course, the designer of the racetrack knows better. Of course, they've seen everything beginning to end. They know better what the race looks like than the runner who's just there for one race. It's harder when it's my own life that I have to examine. My feelings, my disappointments, my hurt. In those places, what do I believe to be true about God? Do I still believe in the goodness of God right here and right now? Am I trusting more in my right now perspective of things or in the God who has been there since the beginning and created all things? In the God who has a vision of all history, all time, and all eternity. See, I think I know best what's going to make me happy. I think I know best what I need and what my people need and what life needs. But God knows exactly what is needed to grow a quality soul, not just for this time, but for all of time. I love Stephen Covey said, the greatest battles of life are fought out daily within the chamber of our soul. See, perseverance doesn't happen because the road is easy. It happens because sometimes it's the only way through. You just have to keep running how do we keep running how do we keep the perseverance that we need to stay in the race the author of Hebrews says we got to fix our eyes on jesus he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith It's interesting because the verb that's translated fix here fix our eyes means to direct one's attention without distraction right there's so many things that pop up in life that we get distracted from we're looking one way and then something gets our attention and we look the other way if you've ever tried to uh, do something that required concentration you've felt this before and in life we get distracted by all number of things But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he gets to be the focus of attention. We're so focused on him that everything in our life flows out of our relationship to him and why can we look to jesus because he's the pioneer he went first he ran the race and he ran it well but he's also the perfecter of our faith he's the author the founder the champion he's gone before us and prepared the way he shows us the way forward and how to run well see where i look matters When I'm driving, if I uh, don't keep my eyes upward and outward, I miss everything that's going on. If I try to just only focus on the lines or the curb, it's hard to drive straight. I'm more wobbly and curvy with it. Or the same thing if you've ever ridden a bike, right? You have to pay attention to what you're doing when you ride a bike. Otherwise, you're gonna lose your balance and you're gonna fall. If you take your eyes off of the road, you miss the bump, the curb, And there's nothing worse than falling off a bike doesn't feel great okay in my life it matters where i look when i get so busy only looking in myself i get lost in my head which is selfishness i can only see things based how they affect me other people what they're doing it's only how i feel about it or how it affects me and if where i'm looking determines my direction What happens when my focus is only on how bad and hard and wrong everything is? That's all I see. If my focus is on the pain and resentments of life, then everything that happens around me are just affirmations about how terrible the world is and nothing good ever happens. But when I shift my attention to Christ, when I fix my eyes on him, I don't see selfishness, I see selflessness. What did Christ come to do? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what's interesting is, the cross wasn't a surprise to Jesus Christ. He knew what he'd come in the world to do. He knew where he was heading, and he never faltered. When you read the gospels and you see what happened in those last days in the life of Christ, he was mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. He bore the shame and the indignity of the cross as they hung him up to die. He always knew what he was doing. He knew he was giving his life and that there would be people who didn't believe in him. He bore the pain for those who didn't understand him. He died for those who betrayed him. He would not turn away from the shame, even though the ones closest to him turned away from him in his final moments. Christ hung up on the cross, insulted, mocked, rejected, and abused. And even when the world gave its worst, the worst that humanity had to offer, what did Christ say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what it is they're doing. And he did it joyfully because nobody else could do what Christ had come to do. He gave his life that you and I might live. Why do we look to Christ? Because he pioneered the way for us. We know life best through the lens of Jesus Christ. The second chance he offers every one of us, the hope, the joy, the peace, the grace that we need are always found when we look to him. But he also perfected our faith. He endured it all, took it all on himself to show the greatest love that this world has ever seen. If sin is putting myself in the place where only God deserves to be, salvation is then God putting himself Where I deserve to be we are saved because Christ took on himself all of it that we might know life when our eyes are fixed on Jesus we get to consider who he is and what it is that he's done says consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart now, it's interesting because this word here that the author used for consider, it's an accounting term. So back in the day, we would balance our checkbooks. If you're super fancy, now you go online and you do your online banking. But what you're doing is you're measuring your account of how your money is supposed to look with the bank's account. And typically, if there's an error, it's my, my error, not the bank's, right? I put something in wrong. I, missed, I, I miscalculated a number or where it should be. So what happens is when there's an error, it's usually on my part. And this idea is careful, logical analysis involving comparison. So when we're considering Jesus, Jesus becomes our standard for life. When things aren't adding up, when things don't seem how they should be, it's not supposed to be this way. When I compare my life to Christ, what I'm looking for is the error. It doesn't lie with him. It lies within me, how I see things, how I'm choosing to respond. What we know to be about, true about Christ is where other people are always choosing and seeking their own self-interest, their own gain, their own wants, their own desires. Christ shows us a selfless path. He came to lay down his life that we might live and he endured it all to the end. He never quit on us. There were so many places where he could have quit, where he could have given up, but that day he walked step by step, enduring it all. And friends, if he didn't quit us then, he will not quit on us today. Look, life is exhausting. It wears us down. It makes us want to quit again and again and again. The shininess wears off. The wow of things goes away. The hardness creeps in. And sometimes it feels like all the energy needed to just keep going is more than we can bear. Which is why we keep looking to Jesus. Which is why we consider Jesus for the strength we need to get through this day For the hope we need to keep moving day after day into the future, for the endurance we need to remember, God isn't finished yet. As much as He was with us 2,000 years ago, He is with us today. And if you're wondering, maybe, maybe just think about it from this perspective. It takes a lot of energy to try and control everything. If you ever tried to hold on to something and not lose your grip before, your hands get tired. If you've ever had to carry something heavy, your arms get weighed down by the load. It takes a lot of energy and time and mental ability to try and keep all of the balls of life in the air at the same time. Maybe it's time to let go. Maybe where we feel most weary and most exhausted, we've been trying to hold on too tight and for too long, and we need to admit, I can't do this, but there is a good God who can. Maybe we're so weary and so worn because all of our energy is going into this death grip that we have on life and the way that we think things were supposed to be. But what would happen if we let go And released it into God's care instead just for a second consider do I really think that I love these things these people more than God does the very people that Christ endured the cross for can I finally admit that God is able and willing to love them and care for them better than I ever could I've had this quote saved by Martin Luther and I try to look at it regularly. He said, I've held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I placed in God's hands, that I still possess. I've never lost anything. I've trusted into the caring hands of God. His hands are more capable than mine will ever be. They're more loving, more gentle and more gracious than I am on my best of days maybe instead of clinging tighter to the false image of control we think we have it's time to let go what are the things we need to let go of what are the places we need to surrender let me give you the four recommendations that charles swindoll gives us in his book so you want to be like christ the first place is possession So many things we think like, if I could just have this, then life will be good. If I just had this house, this car, this outfit, this image, right? The things we own. But maybe I need to surrender my idea of possessions. And it starts with me looking at the things I own and say, do I own these things or do these things own me? Are they driving how I live and the decisions that I make? The second place he recommends is position. Really position is about ego. Ego is an unhealthy belief in your own importance, your own power, right? Ego is, it's about me. (laughs) I want everything to be about me. But here's the truth, friends. It's not about me. It never was. It's not about you. I am a runner. We are all just runners in the race. But the race is not centered around you and I. We get the gift of life, how we use it. That's our choice. His third recommendation is plans. Do you ever make the best of plans before and they just didn't work out? Right? We all have lovely stories of we thought it was going to be perfect and lovely and everything was going to go a certain way and then life happened and it didn't work out the way we thought we should. Look, plan wisely, but be ready for God to rearrange things. And this is what Swindoll says, and take you along paths that may feel dangerous to you. Plan wisely, make good choices, set goals, make plans for who you want to be and what you want to accomplish, but be ready for God to redirect you because his plans, they're always better than mine are on the best of days. And here's probably one of the hardest ones. Surrender your people. See, we want our people to be how we want them to be and where we want them to be and how we think we should be. And so much of our controlling comes in. We think we know better. But here's the truth. Our people aren't ours forever. And God loves them more. He has a plan for them, the story of their lives that he is writing with them that is beyond us. And when we surrender them into the care of God, what we're saying is, I trust them in God's hands because he will care for them better than I could. Charles Van said, surrender results in surprises we would never otherwise experience. The greater the struggle to surrender, the greater the surprise. So my question for us today is, what do you need to surrender? What do you need to let go and put into the loving hands of Jesus Christ? He's the perfecter, he's the pioneer. When it was time for him to surrender his life on earth, Here's what he said to God, not my will, but your will be done. When we make this choice, when we surrender to God, we get to say to God, your will be done in our life as well, trusting in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He's never let us down. He won't start today. Christ endured the indignity, the shame of the cross, and today he lives in glory, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that you and I might not be ruled by shame, but instead defined by the gracious love of Jesus Christ. Christ took on the worst that we might take on his best. What might happen if we allowed him to lead in our hearts and in our lives? What might life surprise us with when we see our loving God at work and we let go and admit, I can't, but there is an incredibly good God who can and I can trust in him. Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I recognize how hard this struggle is to let go of our need to control things and just surrender our will to you. But I know, Father, that when we do, the work that you do is beyond our expectation and imagination. I pray for myself and I pray for every heart hearing these words that you would help us look to Jesus Christ to redefine who we are and what we might be capable of in this life. I pray that you would give us the strength of faith that we could let go and trust these things in your loving and caring hands. I pray, Father, that we will remember this day, that we might be surprised just how much you do care, just how willing you are to step in and do an incredible work. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.